0: This is the Stuck Mike Abcast, an aviation podcast by ThePilotReport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly.
1: Episode 35, Lost Communications, Squawking 7600, Track Up versus North Up. Our picks of the week and more coming up now on this edition
0: of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Neuville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa.
1: Hello and welcome back to this edition of the Stuck Mike Abcast, episode number 35. And joining me on the call today are my favorite group of aviation all-stars, starting first with our lost friend, Carl Valeri. We missed you last episode,
2: Carl. Yes, I missed you all too, but I was out there on uh, Long Island, or Long Island, I should say, Longina. having a wonderful time <laughs> just visiting with friends. Yeah, Long Island. I, I really don't have the accent right yet, but it's a little more nasally and everything. But it was wonderful. went out to Montauk, you know, and and Patchaw and... Visited uh, some friends of ours, another podcaster. So, yes, mm-hmm. I'm back in sunny Florida, and I found my way back. It was an easy <laughs> flight down the coast.
1: <laughs> well, that's good. I didn't know you were the type
2: of person to get lost. No, no, I, I can usually find my way with a good GPS. Excellent. Excellent.
1: Fantastic. Well, it's glad to have you back. Um, we we did. We I don't know if we even t- included you. We did. We had our we had a stunt double fill in for you on the last show. Where our, our friend Larry Overstreet and he uh, he did a really good job. So I think if you you better you, you you've got uh, some big f- shoes to fill after that last show.
2: Yeah, you know, I am getting a little bit nervous now. I might be left out in the cold. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe you, you can us. redeem yourself me. tonight. I promise. Uh, I'll try. <laughs> Please try. Try excellent and uh my next aviation all-star victoria newville zyko welcome
3: hey there how's it going good i just actually uh finished painting our pilot room
1: you have a pilot room
0: yes
3: we have these pilots that um stay at our house from time to time because they live a little bit farther away from frederick airport than we do Uh so whenever they have early morning flights or are flying late they come and crash at our house and so uh, the room needed to be painted anyway, and now it's painted and has an aviation theme just for them.
1: For oh, them. cool! What about the rest of us? Can we come visit too?
3: Well, you're pilots, so <laughs> yes. when you come visit, you could. That's stay where we'll be. Pilot room.
1: <laughs> Did you put bunk beds in there? Because there's three of us, you know.
3: You know, I really should because it's actually the smallest room, like guest room. The other guest room has mm. got a bigger bed, so uh, all three of you there, I'll, I'll give bunk beds. Cool.
2: Cool. Yeah, we'll see pictures. I hope.
3: Yeah, um, it's not complete yet, but it'll be on Facebook as soon as it
2: is. As soon awesome. as it is, delightful.
3: All mm-hmm. uh, right,
1: uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Rick Felty, greetings, welcome yes. again. Yes, hello.
4: Thank you. Happy to be here. We've been painting as well. What no you... pilot, no pilot themes, <laughs> uh, but we are we are trying out some colors. So that's that's been fun. I actually like painting. It's quite a nice distraction.
1: It can be. Yes, I did some painting earlier last week, and. Uh... I'm actually having to wash all my clothes. They're all spattered with uh, oh, from, the, yeah, from the roller. You should have seen my face, actually. I was painting a ceiling.
4: <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that is tough. There are some, some tough painting assignments, but uh, yeah. anyway. That's so, right.
1: Yeah. Cool. Welcome, welcome. And uh, I'm Len Costa, and we are all together here again for episode number 35.
0: Let's do the pre-flight.
1: So let's start off the show with a couple of announcements, starting with Rick.
4: Yeah, um, just a quick one on episode, I think it was 32A. Um, I had an interview, an f- a fl- a in-flight interview with Paul Santopietro and his bird dog. And I just want to mention that um, I put the first video from that flight uh, up on uh, my YouTube channel, which is uh, just search for RD Felty. And there will be more. This first one is a, it's just a fun, quick uh, landing at Katama out on Martha's Vineyard. And, so uh, very and fun. Look for more.
1: And you say you may have two to four. Yeah, internal, we stopped at several air,
4: yeah, we stopped at several airports. Um, all of them, no, t- two of them, uh, grass uh, strips and uh, another one that was just a nice short little airport to get into. Mm-hmm. So the uh, approach and landings are all, I think, pretty interesting. So minimally, there'll be that. And then I have a feeling I'll put together maybe the whole first leg of the trip off island, which has a lot of the interview that you hear in episode 32A. So you'll get a sense of what we were doing at the time you heard what you heard. So Excellent. it's kind of a kind of a visual to the show that you heard in 32a and we
1: love the flying videos so it'll be awesome to watch
4: yeah it's fun stuff yeah cool
2: um excellent carl tell us about your announcements Oh, I got three of them. And by the way, that was a great interview, Rick. That was awesome. So definitely listen to that one there. The uh, 32A, I think it was. It was an awesome job. Uh, I felt like I was in the airplane. My announcements, though, uh, there's three of them. First, the National Business Aviation Association is having their 65th annual meeting and convention. That's actually going to be in Orlando, and the day this comes out is actually when it'll be finishing up. But if you get a chance you're in the Orlando area, which many of our pilots are, and our listeners are, it's going to be October 30th through November first at uh, Orlando at the the, uh, convention center, the Orange County Convention Center. Some really cool uh, exhibitions and uh, some really neat information and classes, too, that you can take. So NBAA, their annual convention. The other two are air shows, and one of them is on the West Coast and one on the East Coast, and the one that's on the West Coast is the Jackie Cochran Air Show. And that's out near uh, Palm Desert area. That's uh, if you go out to the east from Los Angeles and go a little bit south, you can find it there. I think it's on uh, Highway 10. I think it's off of there if you're driving. But the really cool thing about this, if you don't get a chance to go to the air show, I really like their video introducing the air show from last year's air show. It's a really well done video, the Jackie Cochran Air Show. And you can find that at JacquelineCochranAirShow.org. It's an easy way to find that. And the last one, we're going by coastal here, heading over to the East Coast now, is the Wings Over Homestead, and that's here in sunny Florida. And this year, the Thunderbirds are actually returning to that show. That show is going to be November 3rd through the 4th. It's a really cool air show. And, uh, you know, this year... I know a lot of folks like to go to McDill Air Force's air show, which is on the west coast of Florida, and that's not going to be happening this year. So if you want to see the Thunderbirds, you need to get down there to the homestead. So that's the third one, November 3rd to the 4th, and that one you can find at wingsoverhomestead.com.
1: Cool. Well, we have uh, – I've got a quick announcement uh, as well. We've got a, a friend of the podcast who's actually a commercial airplane, multi-engine airplane, single engine uh, pilot, also an aircraft owner in the Northern Virginia area, and himself and a few other uh, private uh, aviation individuals have put together an aviation survey for general aviation pilots. And uh, I'm gonna give out the link here in a moment, but I just wanna read the introduction here. And it says, general aviation pilots and just about anyone involved in the aviation industry knows that growing the pilot population is the key to expanding our industry and ensuring success in the coming years. This survey is intended to gather information on how, relatively recent that is, new pilots became involved in aviation and hopefully provide some useful data to the industry. Large aviation organizations conduct surveys every few years and love to spend membership dues on new programs to help increase pilot starts, but unfortunately we're not seeing much success. So... Uh, This gentleman and a few other general aviation pilots who are in no way involved with pilot training or intending to make a profit off of the results are just trying a different approach. Paid for out of their own pocket in the hope that the data can in some way help improve the industry that we all love. So... If you're interested in participating in this survey, it would be uh, super helpful, not just for those folks, but the data that they're deriving from that, they're going to be um, giving away for free to individuals that have a use for it, that want to learn the information from there so that we can all uh, figure out a way to grow our aviation family with uh, new certificates and and getting folks interested. The address for that survey is surveymonkey.com forward slash s as in sierra forward slash private pilot so if you go ahead and you go to that link uh you can take you can participate in the survey and like i said um what we talked about you'd be you'd be doing not only david a favor um but you know the rest of the pilot community by participating and uh submitting your information there so i do i hope you guys check that out pilot or uh, surveymonkey.com forward slash s forward slash private pilot. So uh, moving on to our relatively recent news segment. Uh, Carl, you were here for the first one, but you did miss the second one. And that is what's great
4: about Greenland.
1: Rick, tell us what's great about Greenland today.
4: Well, briefly, uh, hiking. Uh, Greenland is an amazing place to go hiking if you like to hike, especially, (laughs) actually, only in the summer months. I shouldn't just say especially. <laughs> Please do not hike in Greenland. <laughs> yeah, those kids at home do not hike in Greenland in January. But uh, no, but in the summer, um, apparently just an amazing place um, that without much hiking distance, you can be in almost untouched you know, areas that are just uh, amazing. And, you know, I don't no other specs but that, but I just thought I'd, that did jump up to the top of the list of what's great about Greenland. And so if any of you know people in Greenland, who should be listening to this podcast? Tell them how much we like them there in Greenland. That's right, and and then go hiking there this summer.
1: We created this segment just for them because we really want to partic- want them to participate and we did and join our family here online. So uh, I think we should
4: do a, we should do a remote broadcast from there at some point. That would podcast. be
1: a lot of fun.
4: Yeah, but so we'll have to look into that. Maybe mm. the tourism bureau of Greenland will sponsor will us. Give us a call. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We'll work on that. That is a good anyway, idea. That's another thing that's great about Greenland. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: in the summer. <laughs> yeah, I that's know. what they'll do. say, <laughs> oh, sure, we'll
4: yeah. do it. But you, the only time that's available is January.
1: <laughs> anyway, that's it. As long as it's from, like, the Ice Hotel or something fancy like that, that'd right. be cool. Very cool. That'd be really cool.
0: Now entering cruise flight.
1: Well, we're uh, well, moving on. Uh, we, you know, like I said, in the, um, Carl wasn't with us in the last episode. So he's going to have, we're gonna, I'm going to let you, Carl, I'm going to let you take the podium and lead us off in the first half of the group discussion today. And uh take it away, sir,
2: well, gosh, you know, Len, even though I wasn't with you, I was there in spirit, you I were. Was- hanging out with a bunch of other podcasters and podcaster friends, and that was on my vacation. I was told that during this vacation I couldn't actually <laughs> podcast or do anything aviation until it came to actually her grandfather. Her grandfather was a test pilot for Grumman Aircraft, so we did go visit uh, one of the plaques that's in his name, and we went to Grumman to visit. So that was that was kind of cool. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about right before I went on vacation, I was flying along, and uh, there was an aircraft that they couldn't get in touch with. And boy, we are going on for, gosh, a good 15, 20 minutes trying to get in touch with this person. And it made me realize that a lot of folks don't know what to do during the uh, lost communications. Well, after that event, I actually got an email from somebody on my website at expertaviator.com. And if you want to follow along, if you're listening to this and you're online, you can look at expertaviator.com and look do a search on lost com. Well, this person actually wrote in and He was kind of curious about lost communications, and he was looking in the AIM, looking in the FARs, and was trying to figure out what to do if he lost communication in Class B and Class C airspace. Because one of the notes, he looked in the AIM and he tried to find it there, but most of the radio failure procedures actually pertain to VFR in delta airspace and what do you need to do if you lose calm in delta airspace. You know, I I just want to ask a couple of you folks here. You know, Len or or Rick or Victoria, have you ever lost calm in in controlled airspace? Len, uh, yeah. that, uh that you
4: want to tell us about now? Well, I'm I'm
1: I'm, la- I'm laughing because it was actually on my first solo cross country, and it was a pilot induced, oh. pilot induced <laughs> com loss. Because what what had happened is I was in a different model of. Um, I think it was a different model of 152 and the way the location of uh you know I want to say if maybe it wasn't in the 152 but anyway it was a different a different um a different tail number than I had usually been flying and a portion of the audio intercom system was located in a different section of the aircraft and it was kind of lower on the panel and somehow during some portion of after takeoff and the you know the uh, the, the climb out to cruise somehow either my hand or my knee had essentially hit the squelch or the volume and you know i'm trying to transmit uh, on this cross country and i can't get a hold of anybody and i and nobody's responding and so essentially you know i just turned around and went back to the airport and uh, my cfi gets in the plane he's like what's wrong he's like i can't hear anybody so he's you know messing with the switches and it turns out like i said this is self-induced i somehow accidentally turned the volume down. He's like, okay, you can go back out again. And I was like, yeah, no, I freaked myself out. I'm going to I'm gonna stay home. So my only experience was uh, self-induced. Do you remember what kind of airspace that was? Uh, it was what? departing Delta into uncontrolled airspace for the cruise portion of the cross country.
4: I don't remember oh.
2: where I was going, though. Okay, there's a point to this. And Rick, have you ever had a...
4: Uh, no no i never have i actually you know i carry a handheld with me to 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 try to mitigate that or to try to have another option never had to use that so
2: so no i have not that's a great idea to to carry along a, a radio how about you victoria have you had one
3: um no i carry on the radio too um i've had problems with radios but it's always gotten solved i do have a story though on what not to do
2: oh tell me
3: um, I won't tell you what flight school I was at or the person's name, but I was at a flight school. Um, one of the students was on a, I actually know, I think he was a private pilot, um, was just flying alone, um, coming back from one airport and he lost his com. So we decided it was best to try to land the airplane in a field.
2: Really? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Wow. That's unfortunate.
3: So that's how we solved that.
2: Now, maybe the weather was really bad. No, he wasn't going no. that far. Yeah, no. no. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, we look at all the rules and we try to decide what the best decision is. That that probably wasn't the best decision to make in that instance. And, I try not if you, to judge. Yeah. yeah <laughs> no, just looking at it. <laughs> well, one of the things we're, we're trying to pick apart are some accidents and incidents, too. Uh, and I know we've had some people write in and say they want to hear more about accidents, but mm-hmm. also incidents that don't, things really bad don't happen. Well, I, I tell you, in Class Delta airspace, like Len talked about, his was pilot-induced. And and you know what? Most of the time it is pilot-induced that we, uh, we lose comm. The last time I lost comm, I was taking off out of Montreal, and uh, the first officer keyed the mic, and we had a stuck mic. Go get it. Go figure. And uh, so we couldn't couldn't talk to anybody. But we have all these rules in place for IFR. But how about VFR? You know, what do you do? Do you land at the airport or do you land in a grass field? I'd, I'd probably choose the airport, like Victoria mm-hmm. was saying. Mm-hmm. I'd choose, definitely choose an airport. But the point of this is what do we do in Class B and Class C airspace? We know that the aim describes what to do in Delta airspace when we do have radio failure in VFR. So today's conversation, we want to talk about strictly... VFR and what to do in class Bravo and in class Charlie airspace, And you know, the the person that wrote me about this question, they look towards the aim for information. So there's two points I want to make here, two major points I want to make. First of all, when you're looking for information, I know I do this and I'm sure some of the other folks do this. When I look for information about a question and what type of operating procedures I want to use, I look towards the aim and it's a great reference. But you know what? It's not the only reference. There's lots of other things out there. And one of the things in this situation we want to do when we're looking at Lost Common B and C airspace, you know, we also need to look at the Pilot's Handbook of Aeronautical Knowledge. Remember that one? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have probably thrown that away or maybe haven't used it. Maybe they have their manuals from when they got their private pilot certificate. So when we need to not just review the regulations and also our aeronautical knowledge handbook we need to also look at the aim but we need to realize that we're, we're in this dynamic environment and even in the aim it tells you that you know these re- regulations and procedures you know they, they've been written but they've been written so that they give you some guidance but they're not going to address every single issue and if they could if they could write regulations and also operating procedures for every single situation guess what happens we don't need pilots anymore. And that'd be bad. And we want to, you know, we could just have robots flying planes. Well, well wait a minute. That's right. We do have drones. But, we uh, do. <laughs> yeah. But no, it, it, and the point being here is look for other information in other places. The AIM is wonderful. But don't just look in the AIM. Look at other resources. And and do you guys have any other resources besides what I've mentioned, the pilot handbook and uh, the AIM? Is there anything else that you can think about? The Internet? Well, no. that's a great resource. Yeah, that would work. Uh, yeah, Definitely. And uh, yeah. like, where on the internet do you have any idea? Just give throw out something here.
3: Um, well, there's something called Google, but ah. uh, there's also like podcasts, like the Stuck Mike podcast that talks about this stuff, or AOPA. Um, trying to think, what, uh, check out some blogs. A lot of people blog yes. about stuff like this. Yeah, so I mean, if you
4: search for the for the thing you're interested like their personal in,
3: personal experience.
4: Yeah, you'll often find somebody has has written something about that, or or, mm-hmm. or if they haven't. And you won't find it. And you have to vet what you read. You know, you have to decide, you know, who is this person? What am I reading? But, yeah, it's not a bad way to, f- to filter things.
2: I think that's a great way, Victoria. That's, see, for me, I do a lot of research through blogs. If I'm, you know, with the FA Wings program, if I'm looking up something for a topic that we're talking about, I'll go to all these different blogs and see what people have talked about and said. And like Rick said, you have to vet them and say, hey, wait, who, who is this person and what are they saying? And they could be totally wrong. You know, they could really be off the wall. But the Internet actually is a wonderful resource. And the great thing is there's lots of forums. So if that person isn't saying something properly, they usually get called out on it. And uh, either in forums or in the comments or a direct message to the person that owns that blog. But uh, Rick, what did, you had a, another uh, suggestion as to where they can find information? Actually,
4: I actually not. Um, no? You know, No, I didn't. I, mean, I have the books you talked about you know, some of the early training books, so I would probably go to those as well. Yeah,
2: that's where You I know, it, yeah. another resource I think is there's a lot of FA publications out there. It's going to sound crazy, but your charts, you can look at your charts. You can also look at your airport facilities directory. You can actually look at your your TERPs, your terminal procedures. There is a lot of information that's within those publications that is in regard to LostCom, and many other things, many different things that there's, you know, republishing the actual FAR within those actual publications. So that's another resource a lot of us don't look towards, but I think we really should. So there's there's some of those resources. The Internet, again, is a wonderful resource. And that's what I think this person had done is went to the, the Internet and said, hey, what should I do? So again, my advice to this person after, you know, when I went out there and looked at what was published on this, and there wasn't too much out there as far as what to do and be in sea airspace, but we are we are told what to do if we do have a lost communication and, and actually it's in the Pilot Handbook of Aeronautical Knowledge and it tells us what we should do at a towered airport. Now, if we're in Bravo or Charlie Airspace, we're probably talking to a tower most of the time. We're also talking to approach and departure control. So there is one way that's really easy that can tell everybody that you've lost communications, and the simple way is to put in a squawk. And that squawk code is 7600, 7600. And then what you can do if, if there's no opportunity to leave bravo or charlie airspace because that's the next thing you should look at you should look at leaving the airspace or landing at an airport that you don't need communications with but if you can't you have to land at a towered airport in bravo or in charlie the next thing you should do is start looking for those light gun signals and, you know, in any flight review or any time you get a rating, boy, you, you sure do look for those light gun signals, those questions on those light gun signals. And, and, you know, the other thing, too, is that we always, always have to make sure that even in any lost comm situation, any situation that we always control the plane – and, of course, don't hit anything. So when you're flying, just be extremely vigilant. So let's go back to being in, in Bravo and Charlie Airspace and actually losing Calm. because the last time I lost comm was actually in Charlie Airspace. Can, and I, has, it was, can I add a quick note, ahead. Carl? Because yeah. you, sure.
1: you were talking about the light gun signals and the transponder codes, and I just want before you get too far off of uh, that point, most, uh, most general aviation kneeboards, if you actually look at the metal... Uh, piece of the kneeboard most of them have all the uh, all the transponder the the special trans the discrete transponder codes on them what they mean a lot of them will have what color the light gun signals are and their meaning and uh, some of the other things you find on there are you know like a a, um, a flight plan printout so I don't know if you guys have ever looked at your actual knee board like where the clip is but the metal piece. Most uh most kneeboards actually have that information um like laser uh, imprinted on them. So that's a if if you can't remember it, look there. That's always my first resource uh, for those those couple of things: the transponder codes or the light gun signals. Because I don't necessarily remember the light gun signals, um you know, in full.
2: Well, for those of us that don't use kneeboards anymore, there's of course your iPad. Because that's a lot of times what your kneeboard is nowadays. Right. You know, so, think about but it, I'm just saying, you know, the old, the old, yeah, no, the old style, great. the old conventional yep. style
1: has a lot of them have that info on there.
2: You know, a lot of clubs, too, they put it inside the airplane. I noticed that that they'll put that and then also put it in their, in their emergency procedures. There's there's many different places to, to find that, and that's a great point. You know, the one thing that I wanted to look up before we talk today, I didn't get a chance, and we can put this out to the audience or maybe the three of you can, can answer this, is that in a lot of these new GPSs like the G1000 and all these other devices, it, are those... Uh, the light gun signals say: Are there certain emergency procedures and abnormal procedures already printed up there? I know there's some that have emergency procedures, but do they actually have those light gun signals in those devices? That's a question I have and haven't been able to answer. Does anybody have an answer for that, or should we try to get a uh, listener to answer that one?
1: My immediate recollection is no. Uh, how about Rick or Victoria? Yeah, I, don't, Rick, I You fly I, the G1000. Yeah, I've yeah and I haven't.
4: That. I haven't. I haven't gotten <laughs> to that sub menu if it's there,
2: so I don't know. But I don't think so.
3: Yeah, well, I, I flew the G one thousand for a while, but I never got that in depth.
2: Like, yeah, and it just seemed like there was somewhere that I saw that, and I can't can't remember where it was. That's why I'm asking it, and and now that I can't, I need I need help finding that. So we'll put that out to the listeners. Maybe they can find it for us. And uh, but but that was a great point that you made there, Lynn. Is that you may have that right on your near board because a lot of times we we don't look what's at what's in front of us, and it's right there. It's right on your kneeboard there. Um, as a matter of fact, speaking of that, the um, when we're in flight, Oh, here's a great idea. This will be fun. Do you guys remember what the light gun signals are? I mean, can, am I allowed to quiz you guys or is this going to be very embarrassing? <laughs> Completely embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, the, the worst. <laughs> well, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to throw it out there and anybody can answer this one. So, just as a review because you're going to have to do this, right? Is is what do we do when we're in in flight now? We're just in flight. We're not going to go over the other ones, but real quickly, if we're in flight, okay? And we are actually cleared to land at an airport, what are you going to see? Anybody?
3: Solid green.
2: All right. Victoria gets one. Good point. Do <laughs> nice. we have a contest? Yeah, a contest. All right. Here. Can I go
3: now? No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but but what happens if uh, if you get a? Uh, let me ask you this. What if you get a red? What happens in a steady red light?
3: I try to think of traffic lights. So red mm-hmm. means you know can't land right now. Um, I think that's just continue circling.
2: Yep. Yep. Give way to other aircraft and circle. Right. Give way and circle. You're right. Right, perfect. Now, what after you get that red light, that steady red, then the next thing, this is interesting. Now you know what a steady green is and a steady red. Now, what happens when you start seeing a flashing green light? What does that mean? Come on, first person,
3: come on in. Uh,
2: land with uh, but, but Use with caution. caution. Yeah. Mm, no, no, a flashing green. Now, of course, we don't. You know, you're supposed to do something. Something will happen after you get the flashing green, and that is the steady green. That's your clear to land. So the, the flashing green is going to be then, that's a hint, uh, that would mean that you're going to get, that means in your flight, in flight now, and you get a flashing green, that means return for landing. So you you got the red, the steady red, say give way to other aircraft, ah. start circling, and then you started getting this flashing green. See, this is the sequence that it's going to be in. Ah. So now you see this flashing green. After you see that flashing green, the next thing you're looking for is a steady green, which tells you to land. So that's why they put that flashing green in there so that you can come back. You know, how would you know when you can come back to the airport, mm-hmm. okay? And and then you get the the solid red to land. And, uh, you know, what you are talking about with the extreme caution, what you're going to have is not just a flashing green. You're going to have a, a green right. and then a red. So it's going to be alternating green and red, green and red. That means to exercise extreme caution. Maybe uh, there's a wake turbulence issue maybe there's something else that you have to watch out for so you really need to to remember, try to remember those that's why this is good a good review here uh oh there's another one too now we talked about flashing green how about the flashing red remember what that is well are we there's, in the air
1: or on the ground
2: yeah it's, a, it's just is just in the air we're not going to talk oh, about oh, anything oh, okay, else okay. so it's in the air yeah, the flashing red in the air. What would that mean? And and uh, say the tower starts pointing the light gun at you, and instead of a, a steady red, which is usually you know hey give way and circle, you get this flashing red light. And this is the this to me is the worst one. Uh, this is one I don't ever want to see. The is a flashing red light
1: is unsafe. Yes.
2: Right. Says, go so away. Go away. Do not land. And uh, that's one you don't want to see because now you have to find yourself another airport and somewhere else to land. Mm-hmm. So that's, that, those are the signals there. There is actually another light gun signal people think of in the air that, that doesn't apply. We really only have those five light gun signals, the green, the red, the flashing green, the flashing red, and then the alternating uh, green and red. Uh, and that is the flashing white in, mm-hmm. in flight flashing white means nothing. So these are all just in flight. And if you want to review all those, again, I have those light gun signals on my website there. But again, steady green is clear to land. Steady red is give way to the aircraft and start circling. So if you see a steady red while you're landing, you're going to have to go around. So the next thing you have to do while you're circling and circling is is look for the uh, flashing green light, and that'll tell you to return to the airport. Then it'll be followed up by the steady green, and then you'll land and then you'll look for the light gun signals right when you're on the ground and all those other light gun signals you can find just look on the website at expertaviator.com look in your books look in your aim it's all there and you're going to have to review that probably for your next flight review now this is these are the, some of the things we went over with B and C airspace what you should do if you're in B and C airspace and you can see the tower the other thing too is that what do you you know it doesn't address everything you know say you're in in class Bravo airspace, you've left the tower and you've gone to approach control, you're talking to them and it drop and then you lose your communications. The next thing you need to do is, is look for a place to land. You know, you have to use your own judgment. If you look and you look down, you see an airport that, you know, there's an uncontrolled field and you can land there, go for it squawk 7600 and go ahead and land and Mm -hmm. uh, and but when you get on the ground let them know that you're there so that's kind of a a quick review there as to as to what to do in class bravo and charlie airspace but you know I, i like victoria and i i like rick's solution is that bring a radio with you especially if you're in really busy airspace that's a it's a terrific solution but you know sometimes everything just goes and and you lose everything. And uh, One note
3: you know, about that radio, yeah. mm-hmm. make sure you keep the batteries in it. Oh, and then yeah. also make sure you know how to use it because that's always my problem. <laughs> I don't know how to use mine.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> then, yeah,
1: that's, that is important. <laughs> but she knows <laughs> oh. <laughs> that she doesn't know how to use it.
3: Yes. Um, Bob also said a headset adapter.
2: Yes, exactly. Right. They right. can
3: hook into it. So that'll make yes. things easier.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, that's for sure. Headset adapters are a really good idea. And, you know, all these all these things are wonderful things. It's just that the most important thing, again, is just, you know, fly the airplane, stay VFR. If you're going to have to fly and get into a busy airport, then go ahead and fly land, and land uh, and then deal with everything once you're on the ground. And, of course... File a NASA report after this happens just to cover your cover your butt there. Uh, there's, there's a lot more to lost communications. We've just gone over what we need to do VFR in Class Bravo mm-hmm. and Class Charlie. A lot of the review also is about IFR. We have spelled out what we need to do. And by the way, that reference uh, for IFR is a 91-185 uh, if you do lose uh, two-way radio communications under IFR. So everything really is spelled out. But again, you know, you have to use your best judgment if you're in Class Bravo and Charlie Airspace, which, you know, many of us have to operate out of on a pretty consistent basis. And and I'm not going to go over, you know, what we need to do if we want to go into airspace. That's really simple, you know, as far as if you don't have a radio and you want to land into Class Bravo or Charlie Airspace, That that's another – a whole other – ball game as far as you know getting permission before you actually enter the airspace and especially if you have a transponder or you don't have a transponder what you should do and how you should go about that basically you know contact the controlling authority so if there's anything i left out there i mean it's that it's really that simple but it's not that simple you have to really think on your own and go through all these different ideas in your head and the best thing to do is chair fly get in just sit there Look at a chart and say, if I lose calm right here, what am I going to do? If I'm going to lose calm here, what would I do? And I love to do that with my students just point on a chart and say, hey, where, should, what should we do right now if we lose communications? Mm-hmm. And, and that's any additions uh, from, from you folks? Any other ideas or any comments you want to add to that?
1: No, I think you covered uh-huh. most of the thing, most of what I can recall
2: yeah and this is just for losing common b and c i mean we didn't and that's what i really want to concentrate on because we're not we don't talk about that too much and and that's really really important you know if you if you lose it right after takeoff etc and you're not ifr and even if you are IFR and it's VFR, you need to try to, to land VFR. Mm-hmm. So there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things to think about. And there's uh, another thing, too, is that there, even IFR, there's a lot of times when we lose comm and there is, there is nothing in there that tells us what to do. And I'm actually going to go over that someday, too. I'll uh, be putting a post out there shortly about IFR lost comm. So... I appreciate you giving me time on that one and I do appreciate uh Dan for actually writing in with this question and uh, it was a really good one Dan uh because there are there's a couple of situations out there where you know there's no mm-hmm. strict rules and no great examples out there.
1: Well, I appreciate you taking some time to collaborate the other resources and come up with a a good answer for the listeners out there. Thanks for doing that Carl. That was fun. Yes, indeed. Um, well, I wanted to. Sh- I, this is something that I did a long time ago, actually, and I don't know how it kind of, sort of, just went under the radar. But um, excuse me. We, uh, I did. I put a little survey out. Um, I, I say it's a while ago because it was on the thepilotreport.com before I merged everything uh, uh, with Stuck Mike. But I put out a survey about track up versus North Up. And this is you know on your screens, your GPS, your mobile devices. What do people like to use for Track Up and what do people like to use for North Up? And I got a, kind of actually some really interesting responses that I myself had never really thought of. So first I want to start with my co-hosts and find out from Victoria, starting with you, what do you like when you're flying around? Do you like North Up or do you like Track Up?
3: I prefer Track Up. And why? Um, Northup gets kind of confusing because then I have to remember right which direction am I heading and things like that. I feel like just like a car, I usually have it, you know, you see yourself going down the road. I like to see where I am headed.
4: Okay. Okay, cool. Uh, Rick. I uh, have uh, Northup and I think it's, you know, just personal preference, but it, it feels for me like it's, it helps me orient, um, better where, where I'm going in relation to everything else. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So so here's the map I know. I mean, I tend to look at um, you know, sectionals one way and, and all the maps are displayed on our devices now, you know, one way. And so I guess I guess I just keep it that way. I think in the in the car I'm definitely um track up person, but not I haven't I haven't gone to that in the plane. Mm-hmm. So and I think that's why, but you know, I should probably try it sometime.
1: Okay. How about you, Carl? I'm
3: gonna try the other way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. hey, you don't I don't let's, think
1: you want to do No, let's uh, not do it both north, in yeah. the same
4: airspace uh, at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz we're not going to know where the heck we are. <laughs>
2: You know, uh, Len, I, I answered that question of yours on that survey and I just realized I answered it wrong. So um, my, I, I said like, north how up. How can you can't answer it wrong? It's preference. No, because I, I wasn't, I, I was like, I thought I always did north up and then I started writing down every, you know, ever since you put that out there, I, I, I started looking at what I did and writing down how many times I used north up and how many times I used track up. And I realized, you know what I do? Is I use north up most of the time when I'm navigating, almost all the time. But then... When I get close to some place, a lot of times I put it into track-up. is going to sound weird, but I actually will switch between the two. And when I'm looking for traffic, I prefer to have track-up. You know, if you have a TIS or traffic alerting system in the airplane, I like track-up because I'm seeing what's out exactly in front of me. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And it's funny that you mention that, that you say that you use both
1: because this is something, and this is part of what I'm getting at with the survey, the questions that I – or the responses that I got – was I? I'm I'm a um, I'm a track up kind of person. Like Victoria, when I look out of the airplane, I want to know that uh, you know my orientation with my mind is if I'm looking at the map, and something's to my left, hey, that it's at you know it's to my left and not to my right. If I was flying north up, the reason I asked this question is I got all sort of different kinds of responses here. Uh, we got uh, the I don't want to say the winner, but the most votes or the most comments were on track up. Uh, the next runner-up was both, and the least amount was north up. And so I want to read a couple of these and uh, and get some of your responses, or uh, some responses from my co-host, because the uh, the couple that said they used both are the ones that become interesting. Now, Victoria, you had a question.
3: Yeah, I was just wondering, um, between you guys, what do you do, north up or track up? Because that's the way you were trained. Is that what you did in your
4: training? Um, Probably for me. It could be.
2: But spatially. Well, that's why I look at a map is with north up. I always turn the map. If I'm looking at a map, I look at north up for some reason. That's why I do it. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I do that
3: too on paper, like at home. Right.
2: Yeah. And then that can translate that better. I know. Uh, I
1: I even look at the sectionals or any map. I always align with the direction I'm flying towards the airport I'm flying uh, like even with an IFR or VFR sectional, it's always, you know, I'll orient, I'll flip the map upside down just so that when I look to the left, what's to the left, it, you know, agrees with my map and, uh, and my GPS. So.
3: Is that I'll what go- you teach your student when you're a CFI? Is that like, do they just follow what you do or have you had um, a student be like, I want north Northup?
1: No, I mean, everybody was different. I had one student who, who, Would use uh, who used track up and then they flew with somebody else and now they like north up and there was really no I didn't say for instance like push one one way upon another I just tell folks you know it just depends on how you like to be oriented for me spatially I you know the whole what's what's where it is is where it belongs in my mind works really well now Carl. You had an interesting point with, uh, you know, when you're looking for traffic, you like track up. That's, you know, that's kind of obvious. So if you're looking for traffic at uh, nine o'clock, you look to your left, and you're not looking to your right, and vice versa. Um, so the responses that I got were actually let's go over to the responses on Twitter. Ron, <laughs> Ron says there's no debate at all. It's track up because the real world matches the maps, and that's, you know, that's kind of how I feel. Um, Brad says with Northup, the GPS agrees with the charts and it helps improve his situational awareness. So that was actually that student I was talking about that liked the Northup kind of felt the same way because he was flying IFR and he liked Northup because it agreed with the charts. Um, Matthew said that track up is a bit easier visually, but Northup is best when using moving aeronautical uh, charts due to... The labeling. So here's our first both answer. Now I've got another listener, Jason, here in a minute that I'll get to that said he liked to use both. And that was, I think his answer was the one that kind of blew my mind, uh, but we'll get to that when I get over to the Facebook responses. Uh, Pat said that track up because left means left and right means right, I you know, that's what I care for. Um, Federico actually says that his experience with moving maps is limited, but he finds it more intuitive with north up. Um, and it's interesting because Federico is actually an air traffic controller, so I'm wondering if his experience at work uh, plays into his orientation with moving maps. Um, Lucas says he likes track up because it increases his situational awareness in an emergency situation. Uh, and again, you know what's left is left and right is right, and that it just depends on on what you like. Um, <laughs> Christopher says track up because you're a man. And I that was just, you know, I got a kick out of that one. Uh, David says he uses both, but he prefers north up when looking at the big picture view. And here's what Jason said, the one that kind of blew my mind. Track up when he's VFR because the map orients to what you see outside the window, but north up in IMC so that the moving map is oriented with the approach plate. So this is why, you know, I asked the question because I never considered that. I You know, track up has always worked for me spatially to imagine where I'm going. North up is, for me, can get confusing as to which way am I turning. Um, as years have gone on, I've been able to adapt and I can respect, you know, I can appreciate and respect the orientation of North up. But uh, track up is definitely, you know, definitely for me. So Carl, like you said, you know, when you use different, a uh, different north up versus track up for different uh, different purposes, It that this is, you know, this is newer to me. I didn't realize that people sometimes used the orientations for different, you know, different things. I thought, you know, ultimately my experience is most folks have one way they like to do it versus the other. And I've never seen both. So um, tell us a little bit more about your experience with both and, and how you came to feeling comfortable with that.
2: You know, (laughs) I tell you, I felt so darn conflicted in this whole issue here, to be honest with you. I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, what's wrong with me? But, uh, you know, that whole track up north up, I think the other thing, too, I I found out somebody had said this in your in the comments is when I'm looking at a chart or say I'm using my uh, uh, my iPad. A lot of times I'm looking at the track uh, or excuse me, north up north up. When I'm flying IFR, I just realized that when he said that, when I put it next to me, I do the I do the uh, north up. And but when I'm flying VFR with a student, I just use the track up. Mm-hmm. So there's two different ways, so that I can see if I'm going about to bump into airspace because those those are the different things I'm worrying about. And the other thing that would be I really want to know this is something that I'm, I was trying to go back in my mind is is it because of the fact that I've always been driving in cars with maps. And, you know, when I used to go out and do deliveries and stuff like that, I had a map that always showed north up. Am I used to that? Is that why I'm hmm. usually looking at north up with that chart? And the people that use the track up all the time, is that what they they learned initially? Is that that law of primacy that you've always had track up and that's what you use for that? Well, and I'm thinking with the track up and the reason that I use it that way is because in the airplane I fly most of the time, it's track up, especially when I'm looking at traffic. Well let's uh,
1: let's ask Rick. Let's ask Victoria. So Rick and Victoria, you've you've each had a method that you use that you prefer. Tell us, uh, Rick, first of all. Yeah, yeah. When you switch or if you switch to uh let's see, you were a north up, oh, I, I up. think you said. So yeah. when you switch in the airplane from north up to track up, how does that affect your um your spatial orientation and your and how you feel about well, like, does it make you you know, disoriented temporarily to, to readjust? Well,
4: okay. I don't know that I've switched it <laughs> to be honest with you. I don't think I've tried. Okay. Um, so what it, what I think it would do is certainly, you know, it, it does lock in sort of a little more about, um, other traffic in relation to your, 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 um, flight path and all that. Um, and for me, you know, I would, it would, it would be a little disorienting in terms of where I am in relation to other, you know, key things that aren't on my flight path. Um, you know, that's why I like North up a little bit. For me, I think it's just uh, the orientation is always in relation to, you know, the, the world or the, the world. world around right. me. Okay. And and I think what I do, and I think I was been thinking about this while you've been talking. I think I have it North up, and because of the the icon on the map, I I am I'm able to think track up when I need to. So for instance, okay. I know what I can see the front. I know where the plane's going. I know where the, you know. So on that map, I can I I don't have any trouble looking right where I need to look for traffic. Mm -hmm. Okay, because of the way you know, because you know what that orientation orientation is, so you get kind of the best of both worlds for me. You know, I I I like I like it that way, but I have not tried you know testing out what, what it would do if I switched. Probably should.
1: Well, you know, I think Victoria asked the question too, um, you know, is that the way we were taught and do you recall, is that the way you were taught or that's just the way that you became uh, accustomed to being comfortable using the, the moving?
4: No, yeah, it was just, set, it was set that way and it, it's always been set that way when okay. I was training and so, so I never altered it mm-hmm. and so it could very well just be that it's sort of law of primacy. Okay.
1: Uh, how about you, Victoria? You uh, you are a track up kind of girl, but um, you know, is that how did first of all, how did you start using moving maps during your training?
3: Well, that's how it just always was for me. It was just track up, and that's the way I got used to it. Okay. And if I were to be um, have a sectional chart, I would always twist it. I would like to see how I do with north up, just to see if it helps, like improve my situational mm-hmm. awareness because I'm paying attention more. I feel like we rely on our GPSs so much to always be right. You know, if I look out to my right, that GP- that lake should be to my right. So I'd like to try the north up just to see if it helps me to pay attention a little mm-hmm. bit more. But I feel like I'm going to be like turning my neck. So, you know, the line lines up with my eyes. I'll right. probably be twisting my head a lot.
1: <laughs> well, you still have, even though you, you talked about if the GPS was wrong or maybe for some reason it's malfunctioned, you still have that paper chart, but you would still, would. I mean, you'd still read the paper chart, like you said, flip it upside down or in the direction, you know, essentially the paper chart is in track up in your lap, right?
3: Yeah, it would be, yes.
1: Yeah. Okay. So that's, you know, it's that's interesting because like I said, when I first started this question, I really didn't have, uh, you know, online, I didn't really have knowledge that there could be some multiple uses for, for both track up Versus uh, Northup. So I appreciate all the folks on uh, both Twitter and Facebook that tuned in uh, or chimed in actually and left us a comment there. And, and it'd be really interesting uh, for the rest of our listeners who have are you know participating in this segment with us today. Um, write into us stuckmikeavcast at gmail or uh, leave a comment on our Facebook or Twitter account regarding. What do you? What's your preference? Do you like track up? Do you like north up? Do you use both? Because you know, both really kind of boggles my mind. Um, do you use both, and why? And tell us why, and we could uh, you know get a better understanding of of the other reasons. Um, you know, Carl's for traffic and other things. Some folks use one for VFR versus IFR, and uh, I'd really love to hear some more um, you know some more information from the listeners, especially um, you know what both Carl and Victoria said are you using that method because that's the way you are trained? Have you ever tried the other method or is that just what, you know, like I said, for me, just helps me with my spatial um, orientation as track up. So I'd really love to hear from you guys and, 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 um, and see which, uh, which methods you use and, and why. So, uh, send us, drop us a note, please. We'd really like to hear that. Hey um, Len, one, one other
2: question yeah. real quick. They, you know, the, a lot of folks have started with GPS for some of the guys, like for me, the first 12 years I was flying, we didn't have GPS. And I think, you know, we always flew with a map in our, oh, our lap. Man. I, yeah, thanks. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm really sounding Sorry, old. But, you know, there, there's a lot of folks that, I started when I was 10. But the, uh, you know, <laughs> look, at, look at people like that. I'm, I think we can ask that question too, maybe. For the people yeah. that started way before GPS, you know, do they do track up mm. or do they right. north? Of, I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's some airplanes out there that still don't have GPS. And there's Victoria. Did F1. you,
4: did you learn completely with a, with GPS or did you learn, you know, with without?
3: Well, I switched around a lot, but like my very first few lessons were with a very basic GPS. It was yeah. very small. It was the black with the orange mm-hmm. digital writing or whatever. So okay it was wasn't a GPS
1: much. or a LoRaN.
3: No, it was a GPS. It was definitely
1: a GPS. Okay.
3: Yeah, it was. But it was, I, I think it was a King GPS. Yeah, that's smaller. usually, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was when I was just doing pattern work and getting to know the local area. And then I switched schools and mm-hmm. got this fancy airplane. So.
1: That was an interesting point, actually, Carl, because if you were flying, I remember doing some cross countries, uh, you know, and all you had was a, um, a VOR indicator. And so. You know, for me, again, the track up what's to my left, what's to my right was more uh you know, just help me uh with that mental situational awareness.
2: Yeah, I think so. Especially on cross radial checks.
1: hmm Right. Cool. Well yeah, so we'd let you know, like I said, I'd be curious to hear what some of the other listeners use and uh especially uh especially the why. Um because, like I said, uh, using both is definitely something that never, in all these years, never even occurred to me. That folks would be using one for one reason and one for another. Um, so, excellent. Our Picks of the Week. Well, we um we are getting to our top of the hour. So, it is just about time. Actually, it is about time for our Picks of the Week, the segment of the show, of course. As uh, for our... um. Loyal followers and our new listeners, a reminder that this portion segment of the show is where uh, the co-hosts and myself share an aviation product or service that we have either used personally or have found or come across uh, during our travels that either looks interesting or we have knowledge of that is uh, a product that, like I said, we use that we want to share with you, something that we find might be helpful or interesting to our listeners out there. And today, I'm going to start uh, with Victoria.
3: Tell oh, us about why, your you. pick
1: of the week. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome.
3: <laughs> um, m- mine's actually two, but they relate to each other. Um, oh, no. The first <laughs> I'll be quick, I promise. <laughs> uh, the first is a book called Jungle Pilot. I-, I read it a few years ago, and I really liked it. It's about a gentleman named uh, Nate Saint, who volunteered for a Mission Aviation Fellowship. And the book's really cool, and the fact that it talks about how he became a pilot and how Uh, mechanically inclined he was and, you know, how he worked on the plane and was flying around. And so what he did, um, he was a Christian who went into the jungles of Ecuador to talk to the natives about God. And what happened was he was actually, uh, martyred in the jungle. And, um, the rest of the story, you know, is taken on by his son who goes back and forgives the tribes and stuff like that. Um, the book's really good i highly recommend reading it but they did make a movie out of it called the end of the spear
1: i saw the movie because i'm like this sounds really familiar
3: yes so the movie it's not the main theme is not aviation it's kind of like the story about the family but you have to see the movie because in the beginning when his yellow piper cub is flying over the jungles and eventually lands on this little strip of dirt it's the most breathtaking scenes like i was like i want to do that and uh, True Story, amazing stuff. So mm-hmm. if that's your type of thing, I suggest checking it out, at least for that scene.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, I I lost my place, so I'm going to ask you, was that both? That I lost, was both. End I of the Spear is the movie, oh, that's Jungle right.
3: Pilot is the book.
1: Thank you, thank you. I'm sorry about You're that. Okay. I lost my place on, well, anyway, let's just keep going here. Carl, tell us about your pick of the week, because I lost it. It's not on my screen anymore.
2: Well, that's okay. We were just talking about uh, track up and north up. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a great book out there that actually addresses that issue and talks a little bit about that and talks quite a bit about uh, GPSs and wasps and the G1000. And that's a book by Max Trescott. And my pick of the week actually is his, his website. It's MaxTrescott.com, M-A-X-T-R-E-S-C-O-T-T.com. We'll have that on the website. And his blog is aviation. Trends Aloft. And in there, you can look at the links to his books that he has about the G1000. If you're going to learn the G1000, you need to read that book. I think it's it's the the definitive guide on that. But there's another one I want to stress, and I I really, really like this one. And it talks a lot about what we're talking about here, about GPS, and also WAS, Learning the Wide Area Augmentation System. And that's his GPS and WAS. So uh, that's that's what you need to to look at is Max Dresscott and you'll see that there the GPS loss there. So uh, that's MaxDrescott.com. Great guy and really oh he's the 2008 National Flight Instructor of the Year. Cool. Uh,
1: Yeah, I've heard of I've seen his books out there. They're they're quite um, quite not only highly acclaimed but I understand very uh, very useful. So I'll have to check those out. Have you seen them? I've not uh, actually used one before, but I've heard a lot of really good things about them.
2: I'm uh, the GPS and WAS. Actually, that's how I learned a lot about WAS uh, and GPS in in uh, general aviation aircraft. And then the G one thousand I'm going through right now because I'm I'm learning how to use a G one thousand. And I'm, so far chapter five. It's great. It's a really good book. Very simple. Mm-hmm. Great examples. Good pictures.
1: Cool. Cool. Well, uh, I've got uh, similar. Well, I shouldn't say similar, but a a um, a very cool for the uh, flight bag type of. Aviation product here, and it's called the Boost Oxygen Can, and it's simply a 22-ounce can of pure, let's see, it says it's 95% pure oxygen. It's probably, I'm looking at the picture of it here online, so it's probably about the size of a a, um, uh, a shaving cream canister, Uh, but for the price, you can't beat it. It's 22 ounces of 95% pure canned oxygen. It's 10 bucks. And it's just a great resource for whether or not you're flying above twelve thousand five hundred feet, or you know, if for whatever reason uh you might become hypoxic or especially at nighttime, if you're having issues with night vision or anything like that. Uh, like I said, for the price, it's nine dollars ninety-five cents uh through mypilotstore.com. We'll include the link here. But uh for the price and the uh and the utility of it, I almost think you can't beat It it says that you can get approximately 120 to 150 inhalations um, out of this can uh, if you especially if you use in conjunction uh, or not especially but it says use in conjunction with a portable pulse oximeter to stay in peak condition and we we talked about these pulse oximeters in uh, one of our earlier episodes um, and uh, so check that out I'll I've got the link here in the show notes and as well. Um, in the embedded uh, metadata for the show, and I think, like I said, for ten dollars you can't go wrong. It uh, could be something that helps you out or saves your life in a situation. So it's probably one of the cheaper uh, aviation products that I've seen. That's definitely worth having around. So check that out, um,
4: Rick. Tell us about your pick of the week. Yeah, my pick is a, a basically a thing called Wind Map. Um, it is at the URL is hint.fm slash wind. So that's h i n t . f m slash wind and um, I, people may have seen this for a while. I stumbled upon it a while ago and I just remembered that I ought to mention it. It is basically um, a, an animation of actual wind data uh, for the whole country, and the animation is drawn in motion. So it's it's really actually not considered to be a meteorological product. It is is more of an art or presentation product. But what it does do is it gives you a sense for where the wind is in the country, what direction it's flowing, how the wind interacts with itself, you know, what what's happening with the weather systems that that create the wind. And then, you know, you can kind of see where the resulting wind is um and where it isn't. And it uh it's very cool. But you know, they do on their website make a note that says, um, please do not use the map or its data to fly a plane, sail a boat, or fight wild fly- wildfires. So it's clearly uh you know, not meant to be anything precise, okay. but you can you can mouse over stuff um, and and you know get a sense for the wind there. What you know for for a particular um, GPS you know uh, coordinate, um, and, uh, and then you can zoom in and get get more precise detail as you want. So I, I think it's pretty neat to explore at any given time. It looks very different depending on what's really happening. Um, so anyway, it's called WindMap, and we'll put the link in the show notes.
1: Yeah, I remember. Um you had shared that quite some They're time ago. Did somebody online. else bring you bring you to that aware? Is it somebody on Twitter recently? Well, mean recently I, again or back then? No, yeah, maybe I, about I, four months ago or so.
4: Yeah, I don't know how I got it that first time. I actually saw someone mentioning it again um, recently from in a blog from uh, San Francisco, uh, and I went, "Oh yeah, I remember that." And that's what you know made me remember to bring it up to you, yeah, but cool. I, I don't know how I stumbled upon it then, but. Um, but it's neat. Yeah, it's just it's, it's mesmerizing to watch. But it's interesting, too. A lot of good data there.
0: The After Landing Checklist.
1: All right. So, Carl, tell us, uh, how can the listeners get in touch with you?
2: Well, the best way is to find me at my blog. It's expertaviator.com. And I'm on Facebook and Twitter. And you can find everything there. And also at Aviation Careers Podcast. But you can find those podcasts right there at expertaviator.com. Best place to find me. All right. Uh, Victoria.
3: Um, you can find me at toriaflies.blogspot.com. And actually, while you're there, I've been giving out um, Stuck Mike Avcast magnets to everyone who's gotten an insurance quote from me. So um, if you need a quote and want a magnet, just click on the Ask Me for a Quote button on the blog.
1: Hey, sweet. Oh. Uh, I, I want one. one.
3: <laughs> I only have a few left. Carl, you better for you. You, you better yeah. go get a better quote. buy a plane. <laughs> <laughs> buy a plane, get a magnet. All <laughs> right,
1: <There you> <laughs> <go>. <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> uh, Rick, tell us, nice. listeners, uh, how can they get in touch with you?
4: Yeah, our Felty on Twitter, RDfelty Felty on YouTube, and rotationspeed.com.
1: And I am uh, right now, like I said in uh, previous episodes, only available through Twitter, and my Twitter handle there is at Len. Costa. Now, of course, uh, as the last couple of shows I've mentioned, we've added some additional contact methods for the Stuck Mike Avcast to get in touch with the four of us. Uh, the, the the primary, first and foremost, if you've got any questions or comments or especially questions that you'd like us to air on the show, please do give us a call at our voicemail service It's 617-981-4134. Uh, leave us a message and uh, we'll either call you back or if it's just something that you want us to, uh, like I said, a question that we can play on the air and then answer. Uh, we'll go ahead and do that. Or, uh, some fo- you know, this is a long time ago. We used to actually send mail at the with that thing, I think, called the post office. If you still like to do that, you could send us snail mail at stuckmikeavcast.com. The address is P.O. Box 8064, Nashua, New Hampshire, 03060. So please, we love hearing from you. Send us your questions, your comments, your concerns, and, of course, any show ideas we've got a list of show ideas that we are currently uh still working through and uh it's going to be a interesting future of interviews and content so uh please do continue sending all that information to us so from myself len costa carl valeri uh, victoria newville zyko and rick felty thank you all for tuning in to episode number 35 of the stuck mike avcast we all wish you guys clear skies and calm winds take care everybody
0: Costa Production.